Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Will with Schedule Fly, and um, I am on the phone with Marwan Irani. He is in Asheville. Marwan has been on our podcast multiple times. Some of his team have been on the podcast. He's he's in our book. Uh, we love Marwan and uh, have a lot of respect for him, and always appreciate the time. I mean, he's a very uh, just inspiring, creative thoughtful intentional guy and you know as you know marijuana as i've told you man i mean we always learn a lot from you every time so thanks for taking the time to do this my friend thanks will always great to be on the podcast uh likewise you know we love what you guys do and love that you take the time to reach out and talk to the owners i mean that's huge especially in a time like this right now well it certainly is different subject matter uh than we're used to talking about so i you know we um Right now, what I'm trying to do really is just, you know, take 15 or 20 minutes with as many owners as I can and kind of took the week off last week because just uh, everybody was kind of getting through, you know, all this legislation actually being um, rolled out and PPP loans and all that. But, um, you know, I really want to keep a dialogue going with as many folks as I can through this because things change so quickly. Uh, It's amazing how quickly everything changes, Um, you know week to week, day to day. Um, and you know, the big thing I'm curious right now about is what your, one of the things is what your experience has been, uh, with the PPP lending process. Have y'all done that and what's happened with that so far? Um, we've actually so far had a pretty good experience with the process. And I'm talking specifically about the PPP process. I mean, like everybody else, you know, we were, getting the same information and dribs and drabs and um, waiting for the forms and waiting for guidance from the SBA and so on and so forth. But, and, and, you know, and, and reading all the articles out there about what's going on. But I think for us, a huge asset was having a close relationship with a local bank, Asheville mm-hmm. Savings, they're not called First Bank, that we've been banking with back when we were just a small, one single restaurant, you know, Chai Pani in Asheville. And, uh, and developing a relationship with the people in the bank um, where, you know, fast forward 11 years, um, not only are they going to bat for us, uh, because for a small community bank, you know, we are one of their bigger customers, whereas if you were dealing with Wells Fargo, we'd be like a nothing customer, right, or a Bank of America. And um, um, not only were they going to bat for us, but I also realized that in moments like this, you want to push harder for people that you like, you know? Yep. And all these years of us just being good people in the community and, and, and you know, you've talked in, we've talked in previous podcasts about mind blasting our philosophy and how I've always extended that way past the customer to everybody we deal with, the postman, the parking meter attendant, um, you know, the guy you bank with, the teller of the window, like, how do we use every opportunity we have to blow their minds, even when it's completely unexpected? Well, the payoff for us, you know, was huge. Not to say that you do these things because you're building up, you know, a relationship back or anything like that. You do them because that's just who you are. But having said that, um, you know, I think we were the uh, second business in all of Buncombe County to get funded uh, for our PPP program. And that's because we had somebody at the bank that went over and above um, to help make this happen for us purely on the basis of us being the good guys. Wow, Mary. So you've already gotten funding? 
Pardon me? You've already gotten funding? Yeah, we got funding uh, on Thursday. Holy cow. Well, congrats, my friend. That's fantastic. Uh, were you satisfied hey. with the amount? Yeah, I mean, so we, 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 we applied individually for each business separately. And again, you know, this is all part of the learning process. Initially, I applied for a lump sum of the payroll of all the restaurants under our umbrella company, Chi-Pony Restaurant Group. Then our banker again, you know, said, hey, Marilyn, I don't think they're, they're going to, each entity is going to, they're probably going to limit how much we give each entity. So you're better off filing for all your ent- restaurants separately as separate entities, which is then, you know, I scrambled until two in the morning, refilling out applications and getting the paperwork on all the in- entities individually. And so off the seven entities we filed for, we got funding for two for Buxton Hall and for Spicewalla, uh, which were critical. And, um, and I just got word today that another one of our entities is, um, looks like it's moving up in the queue. So yeah, but we got, uh, when did we turn the forms in? Like Friday, right? It was April 1st or where it was. So they open it up. Um, by Tuesday, we heard that or we were way ahead of the queue, and by Thursday, we were fun, uh, signed paperwork in a parking lot, uh, wearing you know face masks and, and disposable pens, and uh, and uh, got funded. Yes, wow. um, congrats, man. That's awesome. Well, yes, you know, going back to what you were talking about. You know, the concept of mind blasting, which we have talked about before, and it's something you're so good at, is really just delivering over, above, and beyond what anybody would ever expect in, in every interaction you have with, with your customers, with your team, with your community. That's, you know, one of the things that we, it's been a common theme, I think, on this podcast over the years and through all the content that we've been so fortunate to capture uh, and redeploy from folks like you. One of the main themes that I see from so many, you know, just successful people, um, not just owners, but people in your industry is doing things like that, which are immeasurable and meaning that there are certain things you can do, you know, that in your business that you can measure, you know, your, uh, costs and so forth. But the immeasurable things to me, I've always been fascinated with that concept because, that is, if you if you focus a lot of energy on those things uh, in a positive way, then oftentimes the things that you can measure become the byproduct. Um, if you're focused on the things you can measure, it's a different story. But if you're focused on those immeasurable things, then, you know, generating revenue, generating profits, building a successful business just becomes the byproduct of that. And then it, it certainly does. You don't do it for the reason of times like this and it paying off, but it, gosh knows it sure does uh, at times like this. So, yeah. Man, that is, what an awesome story. And I'm in, and, and a, you know, kudos to, um, you said they're called first bank. Now they were Asheville savings and now it's first bank. Yeah. It was Asheville savings. It's first bank. Uh, Jared Perkins, um, you know, was, is our, our banker there. I mean, and here's funny. I mean, I, I, I've been a relationship guy my whole life. I just like people. I like people. I like, I enjoy, you know, getting to know people. I met Jared when I was back selling real estate back before, um, before uh, Chaipani, way before Chaipani. And he was working at Bank of America and um, he was just working as a, you know, one of the personal bankers, I guess. Right. And I was in the bank frustrated that I had this really large check because in the real estate business is feast or famine, right? You don't make any money for a couple of months and then all of a sudden you sell something, you get this big paycheck. So, I took it into the bank and they had put a hold on it for about a week because of the amount, right? 
And I was pretty broke at the time, and I needed that money to clear my bank account. So I walked in and, and, and asked to talk to somebody, and I met this gentleman, Jared. And um, I went in, and, and he was immediately willing and able to help. and said, oh, no problem, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put expedited. And sure enough, within a few days, he had it cleared up. Well, I followed him to First Bank um, when he moved there, just, again, as an individual. And then when Chaipani started, I continued banking with First Bank, because, well, actual savings back then, because of this one person. And I have over and over again tried to um, sort of, you know, talk about and instill and inspire people on my team and said, just be as gracious as, and as nice to anybody and everybody can. You just never know when that person is going to be able to do something for you. And you don't do it because of that, but... I mean, think of the fate of me walking into a bank and meeting this one person. And it's easy to say, well, it was, you know, it was luck. But on the flip side, I was like, no, it was an attitude. You know, it was like, no matter who was sitting in that chair, I would have the same attitude. And if they were as nice to me as this person was, I would follow them to wherever they are and have business with them. So it's funny. I was talking with Katie, our, our, our finance director. And as we've gotten bigger, there's been lots of opportunities for us to say, you know, the small little business that we do business with, we've outgrown them, whether it's our accountant or whether it's our, our, our legal firm, you know, or whether it's our bank, and say, we need to move to a company that can accommodate us as a bigger customer. Well, I always pushed back against that and resisted that idea because I just intuitively felt like, man, I like dealing with people. <laughs> and yeah. when the shit is the fan, it's people that are going to save you, not not you know not not a website or an eight hundred number. And oh, I mean, thank the stars that we stuck to our guns and continue to stay local. Whether it's our insurance company, whether it's our bank, whether it's our um, you know accounting firm, small local businesses have saved our ass in this situation. Pardon my French. No man, that's exactly right. That's you know that's the um, that's the downside of. And I think a lot a lot of people are starting to realize that when everything is really tight and really efficient and really automated and all this stuff, it's all right until something like this happens. And uh, you, you need some slack and some redundancy and some and relationships and people. Those things, gosh, they're so valuable right now to your point. I mean, the the value of that is, you know, increases at a very nonlinear exponential rate when, you know, you're... Uh, you're dealing with that, a bank there that helped you versus, gosh knows, I haven't talked to anybody. And I don't mean to put Wells Fargo, or, I mean, we used to be of A or any of these big ones. I don't need to speak negatively about them, but, you know, they're struggling with this right now. They can't keep up with the process. You know, there's too many applications. There's, it's a real big issue. So um, th- their value proposition is is quickly, you know, upside down versus, first bank there it's just you know that's as a this is a heroic moment for them uh and yeah, then absolutely they, and i'm sure and hopefully for other other local businesses in Nashville that bank with them you know yeah i mean i was speaking to brett from sup dogs earlier and he went through this with wells and uh i just posted his episode it'll be on here this, a little a little bit but he was saying i mean do he found a bank out in oklahoma because he couldn't find a bank like he you know deals with wells great relationship i've always helped out but they, you know guys like his bankers like i'm sorry man there's nothing i can do so through twitter you know he found some cfo at a bank out in oklahoma 
Uh, yep. You know, Brett's yeah. here in Greenville, and he's he's now going through the process. He said, you know, they made it real easy, and of course, their up their upside is. Um, okay, we're back, uh, folks. My batteries died, uh, but we still got marijuana here. And I was just saying that you know that that uh that bank out there that's helping Brett, you know, this is going to go through, and of course now that. You know, because of technology, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to have that, that, uh, I mean, you can bank kind of anywhere and he's got, if he's going to build a relationship with somebody over the phone and, and whatever, and they help him out, then now he's, you know, that bank's got this opportunity to turn all of his deposits and everything else, even though they're in Oklahoma and he's in North Carolina and, and that's, but that's the real big upside of these community banks and the relationships that they have with people and the small businesses. I, I couldn't agree more, man. That's what a great, I mean, Man, glad you stuck to your guns. You know, your your gut told you something, and it paid off, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, quite often intuition is, I mean, like I said, there's a combination of, you know, what you, the baggage you come with, the way you wired, and I was just fortunate enough to be wired to really seek and value relationships and, and friendships. And then also intuition is always a, um, it's always a, a sort of a, uh, if you will, um, a coming together of experience, um, just smart sometimes, um, things you've seen that you may have not have noticed you've seen, but they just sort of whisper in the back of your head. And, um, give, you know, six months ago, I couldn't have put my finger when somebody asked me to explain, hey, why are you insisting on working with this small business instead of that one? And I couldn't explain it to you. Well, now the answer is obvious. It's obvious. And, and, and that's what usually intuition means. Like sometimes you can't explain what it is, but when the reason becomes obvious, that's when you know. Like, oh, right, that's what it was. I just didn't know what it looked like. What a great way to put it, man. That's fantastic. I love that. Well, um, well, okay. So you got that squared away. Um, yeah. And what about? Um, tell me about the um, the IRC, the Independent Restaurant Coalition. You've been involved with that. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, more as a not 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 actively, more passively as an advocate. Um, okay. A number of my friends are very involved in uh, doing a lot of the legwork. I'm just sort of um, helping either read through some of the drafts, which a friend that's very involved, uh, Chidi Kumar from yeah. um, Garland and Raleigh, she sent me a draft to look at um, that I kind of gave her some feedback on. Um, but you know the National Restaurant Association and all of the restaurant associations, the NCRLA for North Carolina, the GRA for Georgia, the two two areas I'm in, they, they do great work. They do fantastic work. But the representation for them, you know, if they were to take a look at who their biggest bulk of their uh, membership is, it's, it's probably large franchises and chains. Sure. And... Um, I really believe that every town should have its own um, independent restaurant association. Asheville does. It's called the Asheville Independent Restaurant Association um, that advocates for, you know, the non-chains, non-franchises. So I think the IRC is sort of, was born of a uh, gap, if you will, in the marketplace for that kind of representation for independent restaurants. Um, I'll be curious to see if this becomes a catalyst for that becoming a thing that every city adopts. So, I'm not sure if what the question was. No, no, no. I'm just, uh, I mean, you know, I've noticed that, that that came together quickly and it seems to be yeah. 
being managed really well. I've been very impressed with that and, and uh, glad to see that it's gotten a lot of support. I think, you know, they, they're asking for signatures yeah. and I think they've gotten, you know, well over north of 20,000 now or north of 25,000 and counting. And I believe they, looks like they have an executive director. So I, I've just been pleased to see that because I've always felt like y'all being the people, you know, independent restaurants, our audience, the people we serve need, you know, some advocacy and need, um, a way to both, you know, locally and nationally to, to, you know, have a voice, uh, because you're right. You know, the, it's, you know, oftentimes in something like this, the immediate, um, needs are filled or at least the, the chains and, um, large franchise yeah. organizations have an ability. They have lobbyists, they have, you know, they have ways to advocate for themselves I mean, where y'all don't quite as much. So it's been good to see that. It, it's been great. I mean, you know, also you get a, bunch of uh you know you get any kind of celebrity chef quote quote and um and they usually can get the ear of a congressman or a senator or at least a little bit of attention so that in that way um there's you know a little bit of star power doesn't hurt um when, when putting through the coalition like that but i mean if i'm being you know uh sort of completely you know candid as i often am <laughs> as you know me to be um i'm yeah, it's like I'm just wired to um, not depend or count on um, somebody else doing the heavy lifting for me. Yep. Yep. You know, I, I think that it's important. I mean, I, here's what I enjoy about the Asheville Independent Restaurant Association and and something like a coalition like the IRC could turn into is this support system, network, um, friendships, uh, relationships. Uh, things where you meet people and, and form these closer relationships that where you can say, hey, you know, we can work with each other, we can do this, we can do that. Um, you know, trying to put them together as a sort of a lobbying force, if you will, for, for um, um, you know, for a group, it gets complicated because, you know, it's like at some point, not everybody wants the same thing. Sure, yeah. So you start, rep, you start, rep, you start sort of drifting towards the, the, the mean, if you will, of the middle in terms of what you're representing and lobbying for. And it's really hard for that to fit everybody's needs, you know. I mean, in a very specific case like this, it's it's working, but often it doesn't, you know. And, and yep. again, the NRA or, or the not Rifle Association, National Restaurant Association, the GRA and NPRLA are examples of that, you know, to where in a moment of crisis like this, they're lobbying for the sort of towards their medium, you know, towards who their, their largest representation is. So, and, and they're not going to be able to do something that fits everybody's needs. And um, so I just come wired naturally, um, well, for a certain amount of self-sufficiency. Sure. And, and just really believe in this idea of, um, you know, um, you got to sort of like, you, you can't wait for somebody else to help to figure out how to solve your problems. You know, it's like you've got to go out there and hustle. And, and figure out a situation or a solution that works best for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you, and, and, as, and, as, and as much as you can help other people while doing it, absolutely. I mean, that's what we're all putting up to do. But um, anyways, I, I don't know if I'm articulating this well, but I think you kind of know that I come in wired to say like, hey, I need to take care of my people first, my, my team first. And what is the best resources? And sometimes it doesn't make sense to say, well, I'm going to 
throw my lot into this other group over there and see what happens. So I sort of stayed back a little bit, I think. I hung back from really jumping in to the pond, so to speak, with demanding that, um, you know, a government or a Congress sort of, you know, fix problems that go way beyond um, what we're currently dealing with right now. Um, what we're dealing with right now is the end result of uh, sort of just a, a cycle that, you know, values um, certain businesses higher than others. So, Well, I think you're right. You know, that's my best shot at explaining it. <laughs> no, I think that's great, Marijuana. And, and I, I think it's very wise. You, you need to, you know, if those if the other organizations wind up being able to help or it, it does help, that's great. But I, I think, you know, to your point, you have to advocate for yourself, take care of yourself, take care of your team and don't, don't count, don't, don't rely on anything else. Don't count on anything else. If it comes through great, but, um, but it, it, you've only got so much time and so much energy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just always wary for false hope of saying, it, Hey, this, yeah, this group or this movement is going to come to save the day. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's important for just long-term cultural changes. Uh, I think it's important to have movements that change, that shift how people think about things. But it's very hard in moments of crisis to say, hey, um, you know, I'm going to depend on this movement to save my ass today. So. Absolutely. What? So, um, what have you felt pretty good about what's been done so far from a legislative perspective? And then what else do you think? would help folks like yourself? Well, um, it, well, no, I, 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 <laughs> I think the, uh, way the SBA, I mean, the, the SBA program, the way it's been rolled out now that I'm the receiving end of it. Yeah. There's the system may seem gunked up in terms of the banks and unable to process the amount of applications that are coming through. So there's a logistical issue there with, with the PPP program, but the, now that I'm on the receiving end of it, the um, implement, uh, not implement the uh, the way they want to implement it. Actually, I'm recognizing okay, it's not completely insane. They're not just throwing 250 billion dollars into the wind. Um, they really are um, essentially these are loans. We got to pay them back, and there's strict guidelines about what we can and can't use the money for. And the interest rate is low, which is great. I mean, that's the way it should be because, you know, it's, this is no different than in 2008, 2009 when major financial institutions were getting free money from, from the Federal Reserve. Yeah. Um, and and we got to pay it back in a, in a reasonable amount of time. I mean, it was 10 years in the short of two, and I know a lot of people are upset that it's such a short-term payback. But I think that that forces you, when you take the money, to be really um, – cognizant of the fact that you're going to try to use this money to turn your business around. Sure. Um, this isn't a, this isn't a, you know, a bailout to go do something else with or have a backup plan. You know what I mean? So, um, so I felt like that part, even though the actual logistics of banks processing applications and all that's gunked up, but you know, how many businesses are applying? I forget what the amount is, but it's insane. You it's know, insane. the SBA's never that's handled a, this kind of volume. Banks yeah. have never handled this kind of volume. So that's where those personal relationships have come in and make a difference whether you get ahead of the line or not. Um, so that's that's how I feel about the. I mean, I'm I'm treating the money that we got from the SBA not as sort of a, a, you know um, a payout here. I'm like, no, this is a very strategic amount of money that we're borrowing for a very strategic purpose, um, and and we have a plan for that. 
with the part that's really been difficult for me to wrap my head around has been the um, um, the unemployment benefit of the extra six hundred dollars a week over and above um, sort of the the base state unemployment number. And I think that it's a great number. I mean, it, it sort of falls right in the middle of how much people can earn. Um, but the amount of time that income is going to be paid out um, is going to have an impact on whether people want to come back to work or not. How long is it paid out? Um, um, so initially it was supposed to be four months. So, um, you know, that they'd be paying $600 a week in addition to state unemployment for up till the end of June. I oh, know the end of July. Uh, through August 1st, and then I just heard recently that there may be talk of that extending even further. So, mm-hmm. um, um, I guess if we are to try to reopen our economy and, and, and reopen our restaurants, sure, now uh, a manager that's making maybe $60,000 a year or $50,000 a year wants to come back to work just A, because you know they're making less money on unemployment, or B, even if they're making about the same on unemployment. Uh, they're coming back to a career path and, and wanting to sort of um, go back to work, if you will. Um, but if I'm a, a dishwasher, and, and I'm not speaking for all dishwashers, I'm just saying if I, me personally speaking, was a dishwasher, and i got to go back to work for 13 bucks an hour, or I can stay at home to, and ride this thing out to the end of July and, and get $950 a week between state and, and the extra 600 bucks, effectively earning $52,000 a year, you suddenly given me a very hard, you know, it, it's, it's a hard choice to want to go back to, um, you know, scrubbing dishes in a kitchen for, for $30,000 a year. Wait, so, 950 course, a week? Is that what it is? Yeah, so the, 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 the most that you can qualify for, for state is about $350 a week, right? So if you were making $36,000 a year, um, you'll probably get 350 a week for unemployment, um, give or take. And the 600 is just a flat rate on top of that. Uh, a flat 600 bucks, no questions asked. It doesn't matter how much you made and how much state's giving you, whether state's giving you 50 bucks or 350 bucks, you still get the 600. So for anybody that's making in that $36,000 a year range, you know, whether they're waiting tables or, or whatever have you, um, they're effectively earning the equivalent of almost $52,000 a year. Um, through the end of August. I'm not saying that somebody shouldn't be given that kind of financial help if they need it, but you, by throwing out a flat rate number, um, there's a bunch of people that were used to making a lot more than that that have to live in a lot less, and then there's a bunch of people that were making a lot less than that, and suddenly you're paying them a lot more, and there's a there's a there's a, just an inequity in that in the system over there mm. um, that penalizes one group and unduly advantages another group. So, Well, I, I will echo that. If if I were a dishwasher... I'm sorry? I, I was just going to say, I'd echo what you what you said. I mean, if, if I were a dishwasher or some, yeah, whatever exactly. the job is, uh, yeah, I'm going to... I'm going to... I'll stay at home. I'll, <laughs> I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll assume I'll be able to get a job when, when I'm done with that, but... Yeah, I'll stay at home, and, and, and of course, if it were you or me, I think what we would probably do is stay at home and then also try to figure out a way to make additional, uh, you know, get something else started, a side project. But, man, that's that's a, wow. And, mm. and that's going to be paid out not just to, um, you know, people that were in payroll, but they've expanded it to uh, self-employed uh, contractors, gig workers, so an Uber driver or, you know, mm. or 
somebody that just works part time doing a part time gig. I mean, I know, I, I know of people that you know are essentially, um, uh, you know, just sort of essentially uh, self employed, making a minimal amount of work, pursuing an artistic, you know, career or whatever have you, where suddenly they're, you know, signing up for unemployment because of the amount of money that they stand to get. Um, every week by just saying that, oh yeah, I was affected by COVID-19 and I'm unemployed. So I think a good intention by Congress was just mm. really, <laughs> was really sort of heavy handedly just administered across the board. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, <clears throat> uh, a handful of people tried saying something along the lines of like, wait a minute, this just seems like it could cause an inequity in the labor market, you know, when it's time to get back to work. And at this incentivizes this incentivization in the labor market. But those voices were drowned out by the overwhelming sort of push to say, no, we got to help people, which I'm completely on board with. So, and, and here's the other part of it that I'd say, Will, that I see as a problem mm. is um, comes, so between now and however long this program lasts, and let's say it's, it's to the end of July, anybody trying to hire somebody is going to have to pay significantly higher than the old market rates, right? Because you have to incentivize somebody to say, I'm going to give up on unemployment and come to work, especially in, in, in an environment where somebody could be concerned about their health, right? But come the end of July, let's see this thing runs out. You have a whole bunch of people suddenly flooding the marketplace looking for work, right? I mean, I forget what the unemployment rate is, but they're all almost all at the same time, I think. Yeah. So, I'm not, an, I'm not a macroeconomist, I'm not a labor economist, I'm just a business guy that, um, that you know, understands my micro labor pool of who's available to do what jobs and what going market rate is, and my entire financial model's been based on labor costs, because that's such a big part, as you know, Will, of any restaurant operation, you know, it's so yeah. 30 to 40 percent of your overhead is your labor, so everything you build is that's the biggest nut that you build around. How much you charge for your food? How many covers you do? Uh, you know, square footage your restaurant is. You know, and and that number is being messed with big time right now. Sure. So it creates a certain amount of unpredictability and like I don't know what it's going to look like when I try to reopen, even if the customers are ready to come back. Yeah, it's it's a. I was actually thinking about that earlier about you know. Um, trying to figure out a, a, a way to forecast for this is just I I well I kind of I just don't understand it I don't understand how you could possibly do it it's going to be a big challenge for y'all to reopen not knowing are people still you know are people going to change their habits now because you know they uh, are concerned about social dis I mean is there is there some sort of you know yeah. psychological scarring that, that takes a long time to heal is there uh, it, it's a very big unknown. Um, it is big unknown, Will, and I think, I mean, this is sort of my last thoughts on, on, on you know, this part of the conversation, which is, what does it look like when we try to reopen? Um, I, I think that if, if restaurateurs are, sort of are imagining that we'll reopen and within some reasonable amount of time, um, our restaurants will go back to being full again, um, I think that's dangerous mm-hmm. because there is an incredible amount of assumptions slash 
you know, rational assumptions to say that that might not be the case for a long time because of all the things you said. Psychology of the customer, fear, whether this virus keeps reappearing, um, you know, how much the news coverage of this is scaring everybody, whether we develop a vaccine in time or not, whether testing and so on and so happens. So what we're doing is pretending for a second that we're the, the, the board itself is new, that we're not trying to return to the old board and place the pieces back where they used to be. We just said, like, it's not even wipe the board clean. It's a new board. We're still in the food business. And what does the new board potentially look like? And my best analysis is that people are going to be nervous um, of, of catching the virus for a long time. Yep. Um, that there's going to be high-risk groups of a population that are going to be even obviously more afraid and more nervous. And that, um, but the people do want to eat and they do want to eat food that's been prepared by a restaurant. And they're going to flock and go to environments where they feel one of three things, that there's got good brand recognition before the virus. Like, we know these people, we like them, we like their food. Like, that's why we're willing to take a risk of ordering the food from these people, right? Because yep. yep. we like it and we like what they are. Number two is we feel safe that, that we feel like if we buy food from this organization, that there's a certain amount of safety built into it that, you know, goes over and above any fear you may have catching the, the virus. And number three, the, the physicality of it, like as in not only do you want to feel safe, but you have to see it. So, you know, you, you have to experience a logistical setup that proves the feeling that you have uh, intrinsically inside of you. Like, I tr you know, the feeling of trust that you have, you know, of a business, well, that trust is going to have to be, you know, show visibly available to see for a customer. And here's a perfect example. If you could go by a Chick-fil-A right now, the line is probably to the street, if not to the freeway, of cars. And the reason being is, you know, it's a brand people like. Um, they have a certain amount of trust. You know, Chick-fil-A has built up a great operational team for a long time, and they're really good at what they do. Yep. And number three, when you drive and you can see that they've set up their systems to... You know, with the masks and the gloves and the social distancing and how they take your order and, and you don't touch anything that they touch and so on and so forth. Well, I'm, that's how I'm thinking right now is I'm thinking to myself, how do I take my existing businesses and create those unique environments where customers say, we like Buxton Hall, we like Chaipani, we like the food, we like Bochiwala, we like the food there, we want it. Number two, we trust them because they've always been good and, and they've ha had a reputation for being trustworthy. And I'm saying trust is a, with a big key here, like overall, not just about health, right? Sure. Yep. That we trust that if these guys say they're going to do something, they're actually going to do it, right? And then number three, when I go there, I experience it. I see it physically, the, the small T, the, the, the part where they are wearing the masks and the gloves and they, and they set up a really good system to where I feel like I can come here and get back to go. Well, I think we're going to operate in that mode, I'm saying, for an unknown amount of time. And I could be wrong, in which case, being wrong is right. Like, if I'm wrong and businesses come back to usual, my restaurants are still there. They're not going anywhere. Yeah, I, it's easy for me to reopen those things and bring, go back to business as usual. What's way harder is to not bury your head in the sand and say, what if that doesn't happen? What can I do today to make sure that if that doesn't happen, if people don't just come in, that I've already got a model figured out to take care of uh, the people's desire to want to eat food. So that's mm -hmm. my take on the whole thing. Well, you, you know, I'm not surprised, and I think it's wise in using the precautionary principle. And look, you, 
you I mean, you nailed it. Don't bury your head in the sand with this stuff because people are going to, yeah, I think people, first of all, people are cooped up. They are going to want to go out. Uh, many of them yep. are, but the flip side of that coin is if they went out X number of times a month, you know, prior to this, do they go out a hundred percent of X going forward for a while? Do they go out 75% of X, 50% of X? Who knows? But I think that, you know, there's going to be a lot of people also that, that don't have as much disposable income and or that are reassessing their own personal financial planning and saying, we got to save a little bit more money from now on. We can't just be living, you know, leveraged and paycheck to paycheck. We got to, you know, we need to, we learned we can cook more at home now, so we should do that more. And, and you know, you're going to have that too. All that stuff is totally unpredictable. Who who has Absolutely. a clue? I mean, oh, what, oh, by the way, too, if, what if it comes back in? The, you know, what if this thing circles back in the fall and we haven't? You know, we you know we don't have a vaccine yet or whatever. And then like you got to kind of be ready for that to happen again. And, and then right. what happens with the? What's the downstream effect of that on our psychology and all that stuff? So, exactly. I think you're exactly. nailing it, man. I mean, it, this could be an annual thing where we where where every year we have. Shut down for a month, and that's something we've never done before. And now we got to do it. You know, so you never, you never know. And I think, um, I think, yeah. planning on what what you can do as an operator, as a restaurant, as an owner to adapt to that new environment is critical. And if you're not thinking about it now, you're going to be behind the eight ball once once it actually starts happening. It's going to be very hard to pivot if you're not thinking about it now. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, we're we're sitting here thinking, um, you know, okay, we had seventy. 200 or so customers before all this you know some how many are we going to have a year from now that just if if based on how many are going to make it you know how many are how many are going to be able to plan like you're talking about adjust their business model adjust their practices did they already have the trust built up or you know i I don't know are there landlords working with them all the things that you know so i've got to imagine there's going to be some measurable percentage of folks that unfortunately won't make it we have to plan yeah. for that. Uh, we have to plan for people saying, okay, well, you know, some businesses are saying uh, what you have right now is absolutely mission critical because it's keeping us, you know, it's giving us a one-click way to stay up with our team. That's great. But then there's also, you know, the coffee shop with 10 employees that was paying us, you know, 30 bucks a month prior that's probably like, ah, I don't need that. You know, so it, it's just it, there's so many uh, – so many things to think about through this, but I do think, I really do think that in looking back several years from now, we'll all say those that make it through, um, will say we, we, we are better off, you know, our, our business is better and stronger and more wiser because of that. As much as it sucked, um, it forced our right. hand to be even better prepared, plan even better, be you know save even more, uh, nail down our, our processes and the way we do business uh, even better, so on and so forth. It, it sucks right now. It does. Yeah. But as with well, those I, things, I you know, it can more. either it can either destroy you or it can make you better, right? I mean, it's you know that's just it. Yeah. I mean, for you guys, will I mean, I, I honestly just what I've been saying a lot nowadays is look, once a certain segment of our population is going to feel comfortable going back out again, I mean, at the end of the day, 80% of us are going to catch this thing and not even notice that we caught it, right? Yeah. But 20% still of a high risk group is still a pretty large number, and that makes all of us afraid because you don't know who it's going to be um, necessarily. But my point is, at some point, people are going to be ready to go out and in whatever capacity, 
want to engage back in business. And I really believe that coming out of a trauma like this, we're going to want to flock to the people and the places that make us feel good about ourselves, yep. comfort us, and in the past have cared for us. Like that we have a strong emotional connection with it. Yes. Right? And I think you guys as a brand have built a really strong emotional connection with your customers. Um, and I think that the question isn't, um, you know, will they come back? or will they want to come back the question is absolutely it's just that you guys will also have to figure out well what are we going to offer on this new on this new uh, playing field um, because if we have the right tools that people in this new economy are going to be looking for the other stuff is easy they like us they want to do business with us yeah. they have a strong emotional connection if anything they're going to seek that out even more than before going back to my original analogy of staying with First Bank well, guess what just happened? And it's doubled down on our business's mindset of this is how we're going to do business moving forward. Yeah. To your point, yeah, that's right. This is how we're going to do business. We're going to we're going to part of preparing for something like this happening again or being wiser for it is recognizing the things that we did right that helped us when we hit the situation, and and um, and a big part of it's going to be it is maintaining those personal relationships uh, stronger than ever before. And you guys have done an amazing job of creating those relationships. Um, people will want to come back to do business schedule fly. Uh, and I know you guys are smart enough to say, yeah, hey, here's what we have to offer now for, for all of you folks that need it. Yep. Yep. 100% my friend. Um, well, you know, we've been, I, I tell you, I feel very fortunate. I tell you, we, we, Wes and I were talking about this recently. Thank goodness. This is a time where you know, there's been so many opportunities over the year, over the years to raise capital and try to you know add on a bunch of stuff, add on a bunch of people, throw a bunch of money into sales and marketing, accelerate growth. And but gosh knows, I'm so thankful right now. There's just five of us. We have no outside investors. We've you know we've been running in a really good margin conservatively for a long time. So we are thankful that. We're, however long this role, you know, whatever it is, we're here, right? Like, we'll be here uh, for however many customers we wind up having through this and going forward. We're here, and thank goodness for that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we have always and will always do everything we can to um, have that kind of a connection with our customers. It's been, it's been very important all along. Um, so, uh, and, and by the way, we are um, – We've gotten obviously, you know, hundreds or thousands of calls and emails the last couple of weeks, and we've been real fortunate too to be able to tell people, look, if you're, you know, I know you're calling to cancel. Uh, if you're going to close your business for good, then we'll turn off the account, and you know, you're done. That's fine, and and uh, and we wish the best, and we feel feel for you, and we're here if you ever need anything. If you're closing your doors temporarily, and you can't pay us, hey man, I'll tell you what, it's on us. Like we'll turn off your billing, but you don't need to cut off this account. Keep using it because right now you need to be able to engage your team and keep them connected and they need to feel connected. You know, this isolation is tough psychologically. So for mental health reasons alone, you know, it's on us. Send as many texts, eat whatever you need to do. We, we got, we got it covered. Uh, and that's been real. We've been real fortunate to be able to do that. We've been thankful for that. But. Yeah. Well, it's been, it's been a huge asset to us. Uh, I mean, we schedule flight to communicate, you know, constantly with, with everything that we're talking about our team. So that's be, I can, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you're doing that. It's a really smart thing to do. And I can tell you, <laughs> it's just a heck out of 
our schedule flight right now for messaging. Maybe not for scheduling, but certainly for the messages. Well, good, man. Well, listen, Marijuana, dude, I, I cannot thank you enough, man. Um, I no, can't, no worries. Man. I can't wait to see you again. That's the other thing. To your point, I can't wait to feel like if I, if, when I want to, I can get in my car and drive to Asheville or I can get on that train and drive it to Raleigh and just see the people that, you know, we've been so fortunate to serve that I always enjoy seeing. But my goodness, uh, I can't wait. And I know there's so many of your customers that, you know, that's how that you're, you're right about that. I mean, that. Oh, people just want to see y'all now. They want to see the businesses that they they care about um, and spend time with them. So it's going to yeah. be an interesting no, time. I, and I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I think I think um, I think everything you're saying is, is, is right on that. Um, appreciate it. It's funny. I, while we we're talking, I got a text and I looked at it casually, and it was uh, Katie, our bookkeeper, sending it. I mean, uh, finance manager. Sending it. Fifty dollar check that a customer just randomly sent in, saying for the for the staff. Oh man, that's awesome! Random. Like no, we're not we're not doing a fundraiser, we're not selling gift cards or anything like that. She's just sending the check saying for the staff, thinking about you guys. Just and I don't even know who the person is. So, so yeah, those those people out there, they love the businesses, they've loved the store, and they'll come back to them when this is all over. Look forward to seeing you too. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I bought one in your auction. By the way, I bought a shirt. And uh, oh, so cool. <laughs> I, I think I put a note in there, like just keep it there, and because that's just like all the more reason. Once I once we're allowed to and able to, and it's safe to, I'm going to drive up there and see you, and I'll get the shirt then. So, um, but uh, well, listen, Marijuana, thank you very much. Thank you to the team, everybody there. Tell them hello, and um, you know, as always, man, if you need anything, you know where I am, and just really appreciate the time. And this is great, great content for or you know great wisdom and advice uh, and the way you think about things i know this is going to help a lot of people and a lot of people have really been dialing into this podcast more than ever lately just to hear what people are thinking hear what they're doing there's so much noise and there's so much just you know people just trying to figure out what to do so folks like you that are doing this man it's a really big uh, benefit to a lot of people out there that, that need you know a little bit of help with just navigating this stuff right now so thank you Always a pleasure, Will. Thank you for the call. Thank you for giving me the time. And I can't wait to see you and hand you that shirt in person. Take care, my friend. All right. See you, everyone. See you later. Bye.